This is No Ball Podcast, a podcast where I, Scott Hill, alongside my good friend Ben Stacy, chat all things Premier and Champions League football. While we may not be experts, we do certainly know ball. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to No Ball Podcast. I'm Ben Stacy, along with my friend here, Scott Hill, and we got a little uh, special special episode here for you today another one uh it's international break so we thought we'd come on and just keep talking about stuff that we uh feels important just kind of cool so uh, scott how you doing today man i'm doing great you know i had a blast preparing this episode i'm looking forward to it yeah no it's gonna be a great one so just to kick us off here uh newcastle united was finally bought out by um a uh saudi prince company Kind of a, a, a strange one here. Um, this is one of the most wealthiest people like on earth, period. Um, and they bought out Newcastle for around $300 million, I believe. And so, Scott, I, I just got to ask, man, what, is this, what does this mean for football? What, what's going on here? I would say it, it continues a worrying trend, in my opinion, as a fan of – the smaller side of the game. I like how the game brings communities together. I like how it gives people working class people, you know, something to, you know, come together and believe in it. I believe this is a worrying trend. I mean, we saw it's probably coming close to two decades ago, Roman Abramovich for Chelsea. His wealth doesn't even come close to this conglomerate that bought Newcastle. And then uh, coming up on 10 years ago, uh, Man City got bought by a similar sort of Middle Eastern oil conglomerate. And you've seen what they've been able to do with, you know, basically an unlimited payroll. And really, it just it's worrying because I don't think that the infrastructure is in place to control any sort of spending by people like this. I would there's FFP, there's there's FIFA rules, but it just seems like if the money's there, they can use it. And, you know, I'm happy for Newcastle fans on one hand because Mike Ashley was abysmal as an owner. He never put money in. Mm-hmm. That club has one of the strongest fan bases in the UK, one of the the biggest stadiums, one of the greatest away stadiums to go to for any fan of the game. And just to see how far they've fallen, you know, I'm happy that they got bought out. It's just I can't be happy about who bought them out, you know? Yeah, definitely. And there, there's just like two two points I want to bring up about this buyout. And one of them is Newcastle isn't necessarily like a landing site for a lot of talent. And I mean by that, it's like it's not London, you know? It's not Liverpool. It's not these like big cities. Like Newcastle is one of the smaller cities. And I get, like, the jokes and, like, you see, like, oh, like, you know, next year you'll have, you know, Holland, Mbappe, you know, Messi's going to be coming in, you know. And, like, money talks, but that destination isn't really where people want to go as far as players and potentially managers. And and secondly, yeah, it, this is concerning for the small club aspect of what football used to be, but football – and it's sad for me to say this, but, you know, reality is kind of setting in in that football's a business, you know? This yeah. is about making money. 
this isn't about, I mean, it's about winning trophies, but if you can't win trophies, you can't make money. You're not an asset, you know? So, um, obviously this is going to probably improve Newcastle to a degree, um, especially with unlimited amount of spending money that this conglomerate has and will probably put into the club. But, you know, and, and even like a third thing, we, getting into it politically, like it, it's a little concerning, but I don't know. We're more on the football side here, and I don't want to get too political, but it's definitely – it's scary to see, and we don't know where this is going to take football, but it keeps – like year after year, you see someone get bought out by, you know, some super wealthy billionaire, and it just – it, it seems a little, I guess, just sus nonetheless. True, true. I think as Arsenal and Liverpool fans, it's kind of – it could be seen as a bit of a, a – hip, uh, like a little hypocritical because the people who own our favorite clubs are also billionaires who mm. are seeing it as a business. I mean, Stan Kroenke, he did invest heavily this summer, but – I think at the end of the day, Stan Kroenke and John Henry, they see it as a business as well. But like you said, the political concerns are a little different. And, you know, no one really knows how this is going to go. They could come in and spend $300 million in January and then sex, uh, sex Steve Bruce, sorry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just flip the club around completely or it could be a more gradual thing. I think the people saying they're going to be challenging for the league is a bit of a step up just because of the quality of the league right now. If you look at Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, it's not you can't build that overnight whatsoever. That takes that takes years of consistent team building, you know, finding the right manager, getting the recruitment right. So I'm not necessarily worried that they're gonna come and topple, you know, whatever all these teams have built, but it is something to think about. Yeah, no, definitely. And and you've kind of hit it on the, the nose about, you know, it's not going to be this one summer. They bring in a bunch of talent and it's just fixed, you know, and they're not going to like fire Steve Bruce and then bring in Conte. And then it's just magically just better. It's going to take some time, but Newcastle now have the funds to, you know, get back to where they were back in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, you know, contending and having some of the best talent around. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's, it's a concern, but it's also, you know, if I'm a Newcastle fan, we got a little extra coin. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, I guess it's kind of all we needed to cover with that. Um, we'll see kind of how that plays out, but you actually have something, uh, kind of cool here. You have a top five streets. Won't forget players. Uh, do you want to kind of, Tell us what that is. Yeah, so the way I would describe it is uh, streets won't forget players, someone who was phenomenal on their day, someone who is definitely gifted talent-wise, but they never really quite reached their top potential. You know, whether that was through injuries or attitude, it's just a player who, when they were at their best, they could have been one of the world's best, but they didn't really reach that level often enough. And then I would say true football fans would never really forget what these types of players were and who and what they brought to the table. I think one thing to cover real quick is that 
I really only started closely following the game in about 2015. And since then, you know, I've, I've heard of names and I've done some research, but most of these players are going to be more or less current era. So think like 2013, 14 until now, just, uh, I know there's going to be names that I missed if you've been watching, you know, since the premier league started, I'm sure. But these are the guys that I really thought of when making this list. And I really did have a, a really good time making the list. Yeah, no, and like from what I'm seeing here, you got a pretty, pretty awesome list here. So I'm excited to see what you have to say about these guys. So um, I guess starting out with uh, number five, or, or if you have honorable mentions that you want to throw in there, I actually didn't make any honorable mentions. So I'm just gonna go straight into number five. This is a guy who I think FIFA players more than anyone might really recognize because. When I saw his appearance totals for the Prem, I was like, wow, he actually played that much. But, yeah, it's going to be Yannick Bellassi, who most of what he did was from Crystal Palace, but, you know, he moved around from Everton, and now he's overplaying in Turkey. But, yeah, 119 total appearances in the Prem, way more than I thought. He only had 11 goals and 17 assists, so, you know, not the greatest output. But the thing about him is that he was a phenomenal dribbler. Like, this dude was... He had the size, the strength, the quickness. He was direct. And if you watched him, you know, he had this aura of like nonchalance to him. He just, he wanted to play the game for fun. The issue is that he never really reached his potential. You know, when he got to Everton, injuries, whatever, never really saw the pitch. But the the thing that really comes to mind for me when I think about him is that, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like him and Wilfred Zaha playing against the Crystal Palace women's team. And, you know, it's obviously just a joke. They're kind of just playing around, but he does like five of them in and then scores. It's just, <laughs> he's a, he's hilariously fun to watch, you know, what he did in the Prem, you know, most players or most people wouldn't really remember a player with 11 goals and 17 assists in total and 119 total appearances, but I don't think the streets will forget him. <laughs> no, definitely not. And like, it's funny, like to think that, your like most memorable moment from him is when he just he does in the women's team and it's just like i like that, that's just kind of like the person he was like he was just kind of like a, a, a like relaxed like have fun kind of guy and like he saw his opportunity to have a little bit of fun he does five of them in just and scores a goal like nothing so it's hilarious but definitely as a player he was a lot of fun to watch and like he is like the definition of like thousand dollar move five cent like finish like yeah. he didn't really ever tuck the ball away but like he would get into these amazing spots you know with the ball and um definitely with like on fifa i mean i i've used him before he's um he's definitely up there as one of the the cheapest like five-star skillers that you can get for the prem and you just be like you know your little um you know you know starter squad on ultimate team definitely yeah one thing about him is that he just you don't really see it that often but he definitely did play the game for fun like yeah every time he was out on the field if you have you know 10 free minutes just look up a yannick balassi like skills compilation because the stuff he was doing he had one 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 v one with uh dehan Lovren where he just was like dancing around it was hilarious like, <laughs> the dude just played for fun and you know that type of game isn't really seen that often anymore but mm -hmm. definitely streets won't forget him no I, and one more thing like i think people forget like he is 
he's a large man too. Like he's not small for the game. Like I think he's around. Man, I, I don't want to put a range, but I knew that he was like pretty tall. I think he's around like six foot one. Yeah. And he was like for someone that big to move as well as he did with the ball, it was just amazing to see. So, you know, it just you see all these like kind of smaller guys that, you know, like your messies and not necessarily that Messi isn't like skillful, but he doesn't use like he his main thing is like ball close to him. It's hard to get the ball off of him. Whereas like Yannick had that flair. And you just don't usually see like these larger players have this much flair. So really, Definitely. really just you know, it, it was a very interesting like specimen on the pitch. So yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching him, but never really reached that that level that he needed to. And I think that segues into number four, just because. You know, having him as number four on my list was kind of tough, but I kept him here a little lower just because I still think there might be a player in there that could, you know, get out of this sort of bracket of players and into someone who is seen as just, you know, a really solid player. And number four is going to be Divac Origi. He joined Liverpool all the way back in 2014, meaning he was there before Klopp. And, you know, he, he played a pretty integral role in the side for a good few years there, especially uh, the first two years of Klopp. But now he doesn't really see the pitch whatsoever. Uh, if you think about it, he's been there since 2014, but he only has 101 Premier League appearances. I think that kind of sums it up. He's got 19 goals and six assists for someone who plays as a striker in that type of system, not the best output. You know, he's someone who... He does most stuff well, but nothing really great. But if we go back to 2018, he really just became a cult hero for Liverpool fans everywhere. And I think I think just based on, you know, three or four moments, he's going to be someone that will be remembered, you know, basically forever. And those moments are his 96th minute goal versus Everton, where is back in 2018, Pickford, his little T-Rex arms, jumped up, <laughs> couldn't catch the ball, bounces off the bar, falls to him. He just – he heads it in. He's literally on the goal line, about as close to the goal as you can get. And then he had another 86-minute goal versus Newcastle where he just rose up, got a header. He kept Liverpool's title challenge alive. And then that semifinal comeback that everyone knows and loves versus Barcelona – he had the corner taken quickly goal and another one early in the game. And then finally, the pinnacle of his career probably was the the dagger that he scored in the 87th minute versus Spurs in the 2018 final. You know, he won Liverpool their sixth European Cup pretty much single-handedly. And then after that, it all sort of, you know, he got his new deal after that, but then fell out of contention for spots in the squad and never really filled out his potential, which is why I have him on this list right now. Just for you know those few moments, I think he warrants a spot on this list. I think he's talented enough to be someone you know better than people on this list, but I think at the moment I have to have him here. Yeah, and and like it's crazy to think that not even you know he, he was at this the, at the club in 2014, and he was like seen as like a youngster and like an up and coming player as like one of the and he was behind you know Bellatelli at the time and. Man, I, I couldn't even remember the other striker that you guys had. I don't know if you guys had Danny Ings at the time, too. I think it was, like, Barini. Uh, yeah, like you said, Bellatelli and Origi came in as, like, 
you know, someone for the future and it just never really panned out. But yeah, I mean, I guess he stayed there. So it, it, like it, it panned out to a degree, but it wasn't like, obviously what they expected was like this Belgian striker, you know, the kind of like the new prototype, you know, and this is the time where Belgian was like having a lot of like great talent kind of come through the ranks and like things were like looking really good, like with Lukaku coming up, you know, and, and Hazard was, you know, younger and still coming up. And, and De Bruyne was kind of tearing it up in the Bundesliga at the time. So this, like, um, influx of Belgian talent was kind of coming through the ranks. And and um, Divac was one of those talents. And he never really panned out as far as, like, a Lukaku or De Bruyne. But a great role player nonetheless. Like, you know, and he, he obviously has proven that you know, in the biggest moments, he can come through and, and get you a goal. And he's done that time and time again. And definitely Liverpool fans will, will never forget, you know, Divock, Origi yep. anytime soon. And, like, you know, we'll be telling stories, you know, to your grandsons about how um, corner taken quickly, Trent Alexander-Arnold to uh, Divock Origi sends uh, Barcelona 4-0 out. And it's just, yep. just crazy, just madness going on. So – Definitely a great shout, and just just to kind of finish up with uh, Divac on, on my end. Just he, he's only like 27, 28. Like he's in his prime. I, I sure if he goes anywhere else but Liverpool, because that system, you know, that false nine is, is a little bit more important than I think some people think. Mm-hmm. And Divac is just an out and out striker, and I just think he'd take up a little bit more space in the box. Um, when you know Salah and Mane are coming in, so yeah. doesn't really fit the system, but definitely a great player nonetheless. Yeah, I, I really want him to get a move and get some more time, but I think he's for sale for like fifteen million last summer. They were saying, and no one came in this this last summer. I wouldn't be surprised if he moves though and finds a decent amount of success. Honestly, I think a great landing point for him would be like Southampton. I think that would be a good spot for him. He'd have yeah. to play time. They. They need major help everywhere. But I was really hoping he'd go to Brighton. If you think about how bad they need a striker, I mean, like I said, he's pretty much like a jack of all trade striker. He's a decent finisher. I think they've done well with him. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think honestly, anywhere in like the twentieth to seventh range, he'd be a starting striker somewhere. For sure. I think you know you just mentioned Southampton, so this this brings in. My number three pit, number three pick, pretty well. He, he's someone who, he's played on some great teams. He's had some great moments, but he just never really took that step up. And his name is Dusan Tadic. I really, I took a look at that, the 2014-15 Southampton side, and I was like, I need to find a player in here that warrants a spot on this list because you know Mane, Lalana, Schneiderlin, Alderweireld. You know, all these players came through that side and they got seventh in the league. And I was looking and I saw Dusan Tadic and I was like, well, you know, his, he's such a good player, but it just felt like he never really took that step up. He did have 134 appearances for Southampton, 20 goals, 27 assists. You know, that's solid output, in my opinion, for a winger. And, you know, when you watch him play, he had the game on strings at times. He was so fun to watch. He just he's one of those players that when he runs with the ball, it just seems effortless. And then, you know, things went a little bit south. He struggled to get off the bench a little bit. 
didn't find game time. He was pretty public about how he was unhappy at Southampton, and that got him a move to Ajax, which a lot of people would see Premier League to Eredivisie as a step down. But Ajax is still a Champions League club, and you know he became an integral part of that team and, and sort of reached closer to what I see as his true potential. And I think the pinnacle of what he has done is that that performance in the 2018 Champions League versus Real Madrid, that 4-1 win where, you know, he just, he bossed that game completely. He said in the interview after the game, he he watched some highlights of Zinedine Zidane uh, before the game. And honestly, he played just like him. I could see that. And he just, he's a player who's always had a little soft spot in my heart just because I love, you know, like winger slash number 10 who, can just carry the ball and just look effortless. And I think being a part of so many great teams, but never really being that star man, I think means that he's a perfect spot for, for this list. Yeah, definitely. I like Dusan Tadic. He, he did really like fall off like the face of the earth. Like after that, after everyone left Southampton, he was kind of like the lone, uh, the lone like soldier there you know, after everyone left and they're kind of like, all right, well, if we can keep one of them. Let's keep him because he's been like producing and then kind of just didn't happen for him. And, and Southampton go in these lulls where, you know, they get like a great bunch of talent that either they kind of sneak off someone else's uh, youth system, youth academy, or like just through their own. And they get like a great side and then all of them just get picked apart. And he was the one to stay. And yeah, it, it just kind of didn't work out for him in the end. And then the the rebound of his career at IX was just kind of amazing to see because I wasn't very high on Dusan Tadic when I was watching the games. He does look good, but it, it was just I think my uh, my lack of watching Southampton through the mm. years. It just wasn't really on TV as much as the other teams were. So. But, yeah, no, I, I like the shout. I think he's a great player. And definitely that Real Madrid-Ajax game was just amazing to see. And, like, it just blew my mind. I'm like, how is how is this team full of 18- and 20-year-olds, you know, beating this Real Madrid team that's been here for years? And, like, Dusan Tadic is just leading the way, dude. Just yeah. having all that experience, just, like, helping these kids out. And, like, and again, I think he's the, he's the one that's been left there alone where everyone else is pretty much left except for like David Neres. I think that's the only person that remains on that IX team that, yeah, uh, for real. that beat um, Madrid that day. So it's, it's kind of funny how his career is gone, but um, definitely a great player. Yeah. And that was the same Real Madrid team that had won it three times on the bounce. So they, they really were favorites going into that. And it was a comeback win to magical moment and just really quick closing that out. The 10 out of 10 performance, it was given by La Keep, which is the group of French journalists who do the the Ballon d'Or. And they've only given out 10 out of 10 performances to four people ever in their history. And he's one of them. So I think that by itself, honestly, that, gets him into this list. That's just so like crazy that he just he just had a wonderful game. He's had, honestly, a pretty great career. But yeah, all things considered, yeah, I I think he he does well on this list, and that moves me into number two. 
This one, this one's a bit of an outside shout. I don't know why, but I just have a soft spot for this guy. I think he had a recent interview where he came out and was talking from the heart about some issues that he's been having. And I don't know. He's just been fresh in my mind. And his name is Danny Drinkwater. I think I see him as the most forgotten cog of that 2015-16 title winning Leicester side. But I also see him as one of the most crucial because that midfield pivot of him and Conte, where he just complimented Conte's ability so well and really let him shine. You know, I think that midfield is honestly what probably won them that league. I mean, people talk about the, you know, how Vardy was and the his partnership with Okazaki up front and Mares player of the year. I just I see that midfield as as the workman of that team and and really what got him there. He made 35 starts that season. He's a player who could really do it all. I've said that a few times this episode, but he's sort of an old school English midfielder, meaning he when you watch him, it's not like you're you know blown away by his ability to run with it or aesthetic how aesthetically pleasing he is, but he was never afraid of a tackle. Could play a long ball, you know, link play was great. He he played so well that Chelsea splashed 30 million dollars on him, which is unfortunately up there in my opinion with the worst deals of the last like decade when you really think about it because when he got to Chelsea, it just completely fell apart for the guy. Like he just couldn't get games. He had some disciplinary issues and I think Unfortunately, his time at Chelsea is summed up by this video I saw. He was coming back off an injury, so they threw him in a U23s game to get some some time. And he, I guess, was just having a bad day. And he absolutely just two foots, like some U23 random bloke, like red card straight sent off. Like, I don't know what he was thinking, but he's got a, a couple loans since then. He's right now in the championship with Reading, trying to restart his career. A fall from grace, but a player I don't think the streets will forget. No, definitely not. And like any, honestly, Lester, that winning title side will never be forgotten at all. Like none of the players I think will ever be forgotten. Like, you know, I still remember like Okazaki. Like that's like, you know, and like he's, he only had like seven goals, I think, that whole season, just like in all competitions. Yeah. But like I remember like at least one of them that was just so crucial and it, it was like a last minute winner. I can't remember exactly who it was against, but Lester just had like a terrible day, but it was still like 1-1. And then just out of nowhere, here comes Okazaki on for like 10 minutes, scores a goal, wins him the game. It was just madness. But um, but back to Danny Drinkwater, like he, he really was a pretty important piece. And I remember the reason why Chelsea bought him wasn't because they – they truly, I think, wanted him. I think it was just to make sure that they had enough English players on their team before the season so they wouldn't get yeah, burned. That's true. And it was it was just kind of like a pressure buy. It was just like who's somewhat cheap but like still can play for us that's English. And it was like, oh, Danny Drinkwater's available. Like, let's go get him. So very weird transfer. I think his career would have been a lot better if he stayed there. Yeah, and, I have like, to agree. If, if then he would have been next to Ndidi. And maybe Yuri Thielman's never goes to Leicester if they keep Danny Drinkwater. I mean, keep uh, if you keep that in mind, Yuri Thielman's could be at, you know, United rotting away right now because that's how that's what they do with youngsters apparently. Yeah, yeah, um, it's something to think about. I just I don't know. I got a soft spot in a, uh, my heart for that guy. Mm-hmm. I think 
I think if you really look at that 2015-16 title winning side, I mean, obviously Conte, Mares, Vardy. But like you said, Okazaki, Drinkwater, Albrighton, you know, those are the the workhorses that you really build a season around. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Albrighton's still at Leicester, so. Yeah, no. The, I, those people, they always are going to have a spot in any squad. Unfortunately mm-hmm. for Danny Drinkwater, the move just never worked. And yeah. He's, and, and he's trying. Just, like, those three players that you named, like Okazaki, Drinkwater, and, like, Albrighton, like, they did the dirty stuff to allow Vardy and like Mares and, and like, I mean, I know Conte did like a lot of the dirty work defensively, mm-hmm. but he allowed them to shine, you know, really do like what they do best. And that was like allowing Vardy to run, like, you know, I'll track back so that you can make those like devastating runs forward. And like, you know, and as far as like the fullbacks for like allowing Mares the space to, you know, get on his left foot and, like, you know, drive left and, like, just curl it in with his left foot. Just beautiful shots. So, you know, those those role players that allowed those stars to really shine is what, like, made that team so special. And, and Danny Drinkwater is one of those, you know, like, you know, got to put the, you know, the, the the cap on and, like, the, the gloves and, like, let's get the work, you know? Right. So. Yeah, yeah. I think he warrants a spot on the list. Definitely. Maybe number two is a little high, but. I think, you know, the, the number one spot, I'm just going to move straight into it. This is the reason why I wanted to make the list. I was I was up late, you know, one night watching YouTube compilations of some players, and this guy popped in the recommendations, and I thought, wow, like, that's a name I haven't heard in a while, but what a player he was. And it's, I think, easy choice for number one spot and someone that a lot of people would have in this type of list, and it's Dimitri Payet. I think... You know, what he did for West Ham in such a short period of time is really the pinnacle of what a streets won't forget footballer is. And when you look at it, he had 48 appearances in the Premier League over two seasons. So least amount of appearances on this entire list. But what he did in those two seasons, he was just he was on smoke, like strictly scoring worldies. There's a he is probably the best free kick taker on the planet for two seasons in a row there. He just he had a weird knack for finding top bins every single shot he took. He is a silky dribbler. Absolutely joy to watch. And you know, a lot of talk was could he become one of the best in the world? Because he's he legit had that talent for a while. And then it just felt like a snap of a finger. He wanted out of England. He got a move to France. And, you know, he continues to do pretty well over there, but I just can't help but look at him and think, you know, what could have been from that player? Because he was seriously one of the best players in his position and probably just full stop in the world for that one season with West Ham. Yeah, and I remember him, like, going to West Ham and I'm like, that's a pretty good signing. I wonder how that would turn out. And, like, just the season that he had and, like, like the absolute, like, love that West Ham fans had for him, like, in that one season was just – outrageous to like see and it's like man and this dude the best like dead ball taker like in the league like bar none like there was no one better like and that was that was with ward prowse that was with coutinho like still in the league and like it was just madness what he would do with the ball like especially at a dead ball and like even and and you're right like every shot it seemed like it was just going you know, either top bin, it didn't matter. Like it was just like once it left his foot, it was going in. 
the problem that he had was definitely his attitude. Like he had one of the worst attitudes. Like it was like, if you remember how Alexis Sanchez was with Arsenal, like his last few years, imagine that like times 10, like that was Dimitri Payet. Like dude did not give a shit. Like he, he like one day just woke up and he's like, I hate being in West Ham. I want to leave. Yeah. Like it really was like that. He, he got his move and like it, honestly, I think it ruined his career. I definitely, like if he stayed at West Ham and didn't leave France and just maybe like acted like a normal human being, like he yeah, would have, yeah. his career would have been way better off. And I remember just like, even like FIFA, Dimitri Payet was just fun to use. Like he had five-star skills dead. Like anytime that you played like ultimate team or, or just like, even like I haven't even had a West Ham career mode when he was on the team. Fucking madness. Like, dude, yeah. every free kick I'd take, it went in. Like, it was just, it was wild. And even in real life, that's how it was. Like, it was, he was Willian and like combined with like Urziel. And it was just like, he didn't have like the the actual placement, like ball placement as far as like passing goes as Urziel. But, but damn, dude, he was the like best attacking midfielder that like we've seen in a while into the Prem. And just the form he was on. It was just just madness. So, like, I will never forget Dimitri Payet for how much of an ass he was, but more so for just how amazing he was with the ball. So, Absolutely. He was, he was magic for that one season. And then, you know, no disrespect to the guy. He's definitely still doing well in France. You know, you see him pop up every once in a while, you know, Champions League goal or assist, and then, you know, still doing well in France. But – I just, he's another one of those players I just can't help but think, you know, what could have been. We obviously here have a prem bias because it's, you know, the league we find the most entertaining, the one we watch the most. But I still think to this day, he could have been something special. And, you know, to see where he is now, I'm happy for the guy. But he definitely is a number one spot for this list, in my opinion. And, you know, a player you just brought up who I hadn't even thought about that maybe could have broke onto this list, just a real quick talk about him, Alexis Sanchez. I think he might have been too good for too long to be on this list, but he's another one where, you know, he got the move to United that he wanted so badly, I guess, and just completely fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, that was – I mean, I still love him, and he was like – the real like attacker in that, that team, you know, back when it was Giroud, Urziel, you know, and even Lacazette came on and he was still way better than Lacazette. And he just wanted the money and he got the money and then kind of was like, all right, like I just don't really need to try anymore. And I, I don't think he really fit Mourinho's kind of tactics, but he kind of came back on at Inter, but I, I don't really know what he's up to now. It definitely could have been a shout. I it just, he had that span of like four or five years where he was super good and consistent. So I don't know if he would necessarily make this like specific list, but yeah, hopefully a shout. Yeah. I think that just about wraps up my list. Like I said, I had a really good time, uh, you know, creating it. I hope you guys enjoyed it uh, real quick. If you go on Twitter at NoBallPod, K N O W NoBallPod, the, we're going to have, you know, some more content over there. And one thing we want to do with that is just give you guys a way to reach out any sort of, you know, suggestions for topics for the podcast, any sort of feedback you want to give us would be greatly appreciated. 
And then I believe Ben also wanted to make a TikTok. We haven't made it yet, but I'm assuming that at Noball Pod on TikTok it will also be available. And there we'll just have a little bit more like short form content, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully break into that game as well. Yeah, no. And that actually by probably the end of this episode, I'll have it up and running. I'll just make a new account. Um, so definitely follow us there. Um, if it does change, look on Twitter. Um, we'll put it up there. But um, yeah, um, I think that kind of wraps it up for this one. But another another great one. And this was fun, dude. Like reading, looking back at these players, man, it's just it's just so much fun to watch and like remember kind of like any kind of memories you had, whether watching them or just like playing with them on FIFA. Like it's just, it's just fun. Absolutely. Yep. I think that wraps her up. I hope you guys enjoyed and look out for more content like this just until international break is over. We got one more week, unfortunately, but I think we got a couple more episodes like this. Mm-hmm. All right. Have a good one guys. Peace. Later. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Noball Podcast. Ben and I would like to thank you for your support and invite you to follow us on Twitter and TikTok at Noball Pod to give us feedback and send in suggestions. Catch you around.